In today's episode, we open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Some will depart the faith. This is the Apostle Paul's message to Timothy in this part of the letter. Why? Well, because of false teaching. The world continues to resist God's clear message, and those intent on leading people astray will devise all manner of enticing myths and false knowledge to get the job done. St. Paul urges Timothy to devote himself to Scripture and to keep a close watch on his own teaching. Good morning and blessed Lenten Tide. Nope, not Lenten Tide, Epiphany Tide. Today is Wednesday, February 14th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word. Don't laugh at me yet, Barquette. You're not in yet. Each weekday morning, we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God speaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Do me a favor, and next time you're online, head over to lhfmissions.org. Find out all the ways the Lutheran Heritage Foundation helps congregations and missionaries spread the good news of Jesus with foreign language materials rooted in the Lutheran tradition. Again, that web address is lhfmissions.org. So this morning, I'm pleased to welcome to the show the Reverend Timothy Barquette, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Luke in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. He's going to help us explore 1 Timothy 4. All right, Parquette, you can talk now. Welcome yeah. back to the Strong Word. Yeah, they got, they got to pull me off the mute, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, all that's right. That's so, all right, brother. It's so nice right to talk on. to you again. How are things going yeah, down there in Lake so. Havasu City? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I, I am in Lake Havasu City currently right now. That's where I live. My, my church is actually oh. in Kingman, Arizona. Mm. Uh, that was is, a mistake I made last 60 time. 60 miles away from here, which is an odd odd uh, turn of events that got me there, but it's really been a blessing. It's it's, it's a lot of fun. Great people out, out in, in Kingman and this part of the world, too. So well, That's awesome. What's the weather like? That's what I want to know. Up here in chilly Minnesota, I want to know how the weather is in Arizona. No, you don't. It, it's oh no. <laughs> we're, this morning we're really cold. We're in the low fifties. Oh. Uh, the skies are perfectly clear. I've got a light breeze coming out of the north. So <laughs> yeah, I don't like Might that. Might go fishing don't later. Like I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have icy rain, and the school was delayed a couple hours because all the icy rain has frozen into a sheet of ice over the roads, and I think we still have like four or five foot snow drifts around here. So yeah, it's oh, nothing like goodness. that. Oh, yeah, I think I think I got a, an eighth of an inch of rain yesterday. So, you know, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I'm glad that you're enjoying life down there in Arizona, and I'm happy to have you on the show today. I tell you what, uh, before we dig into our text, which is a good one, I'd like to invite you to start us off in prayer. Sure. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for another opportunity to explore your word, to explore the text. Uh, bless us in our time. Open our minds to your promises and grant us your Holy Spirit that we might better understand uh, the things that you have for us in First Timothy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been reading through First uh, Timothy and we have finally gotten to just the fourth chapter. It's not a very long letter, but it's packed with all kinds of uh, great information, not only for pastors, but for parishioners and Christians everywhere. The section today especially, I think, speaks to more than just the pastoral office, as maybe some of the other chapters have done. Uh, but before we get into and read this and start taking it apart, is there anything about the previous chapters or anything part of the, about this letter that you want people to know before we do? Yeah, you know, I, I think I think it's important to know his setting. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's Timothy's in, in Ephesus, if I remember right, you know, and, and this is where his church is. And, and it's it's a you know, it's a cosmopolitan place. Uh, it's, it's one of the, one of the great crossroads of the Apian way, you know, for the Romans and everything else. And so they're dealing with some very, quite frankly, some modern stuff for their, their time. And, and this is, as you read through this, you go, wow, this, <laughs> this, this could be America in so many ways as well. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a timely message all the way around. Okay. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the more we read, the more we see a couple of things. And I guess the way I looked at it is either things have not changed that much over the years, and, and maybe <laughs> it is sort of a net zero. Things get better, things get worse, but we're always ending yeah. up in sort of this, I don't know, baseline of evil. Or things are really starting to regress back to the way they were in the first century before Christianity had this positive influence on the world. Either way, that just means that the, the Bible still speaks and is useful to our situations today. And, uh, and that's why we continue to study it, for sure. Yeah, well, and may, maybe now, not more than ever, for sure, but now we're, we're starting to identify more with these settings that we're seeing, especially in, in the pastoral epistles and all these things. It's like, yeah, this is, we've come full circle. Uh, and I think that you really make a good point with that. And while we're not exactly, you know, being fed to the lions in the, you know, during the Super Bowl <laughs> halftime show, we, we do recognize that persecution, at least I might say soft persecution, is discrimination even is starting to be on the rise. And people are starting to experience things where maybe even 40 years ago, 50 years ago or less, you could look at this text and go, Okay, well, this was what was going on at the time, and you understand why they felt like they were being persecuted. And nowadays we read this and we go, oh, wow, it's as if he's writing to us today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, like you say, it's, it's a soft persecution. Um, of course. But, but that's where it starts. And, you know, it, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise us if it gets worse. We pray it doesn't, but it shouldn't surprise us if it gets worse. Sometimes people take a, a, a you know exception to me qualifying our persecution, but I, I do that because I also want to remind people that we're still at a position in our country where we have the freedom to proclaim our faith. Uh, yes, there are a lot of consequences to when we tell the truth, but we still aren't to the level. We haven't risen to the level of shedding your blood, as it says elsewhere in the scriptures, um, that maybe even some of our Christian brothers and sisters face say, in some Muslim countries or even in China or other places where the persecution is a lot more uh, severe, let's say. So while we no, also I, don't absolutely, want to ignore, yeah. yeah, we don't want to ignore what's going on, but we also don't want to blow it out of proportion, too. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, here you could, you, you, whether, you know, if, if somebody in your church, let's say, for whatever reason, they decided to, to become a Muslim, right, you're, you're not going to go out and and you know, put a big mark on their house and, and, and burn it down, you know, you're not, but right. you, you do stay in some parts of the world. I mean, if you're a, a Christian and you're, you know, talking about your faith and certainly if it's a, a possibly a Muslim country or something else, uh, you, you do stand a chance of having some real legit fear for your life and for your family. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, so it, it's not, uh, it's not unheard of. Well, I tell you what, what is not unheard of is the first topic that he covers in this part of the letter, and I'm going to read just, oh, let's see here, verses 1 through 5. 
I think that's plenty to chew on for a while. Here we go. This is going to be from the English Standard Version. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So the Spirit expressly says, we don't really hear how Paul got that message. Is it a prophetic <laughs> message that was straight to him? Is he discerning that from the from the Old Testament? I, I don't know if we know. I'd, be, I'd love to hear your thoughts. But basically, in the later times, people will depart from the faith. When he says later times, do you think he has in mind us, or do you think he has in mind what was going on at the very moment, and he was calling the times he was in the later times? Yeah, I mean, so this is prophecy, right? <laughs> and, and 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 I think the answer to both of those is is yes, right? He's talking about his time. He's talking about our time as well. Um, you know, prophecy was always always explained to me as, as like a, a mountain range. You know, you see it fulfilled once. You get to the top of that range, and all of a sudden, you see it again in the distance. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, for the for the most part, depending except for some of the things that were absolutely fulfilled uh, in Christ, you know, in his life and his death and his resurrection. Uh, but there are some some prophecies like this one that tend to kind of they just keep coming around. Um, and maybe that's what this is, you know, and also like as far as the, the spirit declaring, you know, there Paul in other letters talks about how, you know, he got his gospel directly from from Christ uh, and. You know, this could be a part of that, you know, this this conversation uh, and, you know, whether that was on the road to Damascus or, or later when he's in Antioch or whatever, he, he was getting his message directly uh, from Jesus. And, and so whether it was then or, or later, it really doesn't matter. We can obviously we trust that that it's the truth. So. Absolutely. And we do see this today. We see people leaving the faith and oftentimes they're leaving uh, because they've just reject Christ, but they're falling after uh, different teachings. And, and he talks about people devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. But w when I think about this, you know, does it the teaching of demons, like well, how would that manifest itself into <laughs> in today's world? Because I wouldn't want to say, let's say to the to the young man who comes to me and says, Pastor, you know, I, I you know, I'm going to college now and I just I just I, I believe, say, in in evolution. And I just think that science disproves the Bible, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that's a pretty shallow view of, say, science itself. But like I wouldn't want to sit here and say, OK, when someone struggles with their faith because of the world's message that this is the teaching of demons. But at the same time, you know, people kind of. There's two different ways. Like on the one hand, people sort of convince themselves out of the faith. And on the other hand, you have what Paul's talking about here, which is people specifically and demonically trying to draw them away. I think both yeah. of those things happen. What, what do you think, brother? Yeah. 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 You know, it's, it's funny. We live in, in one of the most religious periods in American history, whether we believe it or not. You know what I mean? It, we, we really are yeah. a very religious nation. 
Um, but it, to, to say that normally we would have said we're religious and the vast majority of us are Christian. And that's just not the way it works currently. You know, we're, we're religious, but we're all over the place, right? Uh, religion right. Is, is being self-defined uh, for a lot of folks and it changes all the time. You know, that you talk about college, uh, that, that first year of college, we see, we see our young people go away and, and for whatever reason, whether it's they, they haven't been taught well enough or, or they're, they're just such a heavy influence uh, from professors and other students around them. You know, that, that freshman year, uh, we, we see such a high percentage of, of students, I mean, literally change. They become different mm-hmm. people uh, when, they, when they come back from some of these universities. And, and you, you got to wonder, right? There, there's, we soften it up all the time because we're American pastors. But, you know, Jesus very clearly says there's two camps, right? There's the camp of, of God, there's the camp of Christ, and there's the other camp. Uh, and and right. I think that's kind of what, what Paul is doing here. He's going, you know, it's it's either the teaching of God or it's the teaching that comes straight from the devil himself, uh, whatever that variety might be, as 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 soft as it might look and, and as, as minuscule as it might look. And and as you know, oh, that's it's not that bad. Right. This is not that big a change. And, and I think we we quantify it that way. And but that's, you know. The old uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It, it's also it's also paved with, uh, you know, small incursions into what we believe and and how and where we stand. Well, and I think it would be a mistake to say that you know that when demons speak, they're speaking such untruths that it's easy to point out because that's not how Satan works. That's not how the right. world works. In fact, they'll take very attractive and often truthful things and twist them in such a way that draws people away, even if possible, from the faith. So I have a little story. When I first started college, and this was back in 98, and I was Taking, I was taking criminology classes. I was a criminal justice major, and one of those classes was with my, uh, with my advisor, who uh, didn't want us to call him by his, you know, doctor and last name. He wanted us to call him Dwayne. So, you know, so he's one of these cool guys, and he spends <laughs> the whole first class. This is in the Bible Belt, North Carolina. He spends the whole first class. I don't know what it was, like drug treatment theory or something weird. He's spending it, and he first asks, "Raise your hand if you believe in Jesus." And it's, I mean, it's the South, right? So everybody raises their hand. Everybody believes in Jesus. And then he spends the entire hour and a half, however long the class was, trying to talk kids out of believing in Jesus. (laughs) And so this is a 98, guys. This is not like, you know, all the woke colleges of today. And uh, at the end, he says, okay, raise your hand if you still believe in Jesus. And some of the kids didn't raise their hand. Now, do I think that they were drawn away from Christ by that one and a half hour conversation? No, but they certainly were afraid to raise their hand again. Right. And and then later, uh, for what it's worth, I worked for the, a student worker for the police department, and uh, we had to go and protect Dwayne, my advisor, <coughs> and his crew because they were Wiccans and they were having a service on the campus at, on um, <laughs> at uh, uh, like oh, on man. Halloween or something like that. So it's yeah. just interesting, you, you, you know, the influences of other people, you're going to run into that, which is part of the message here is that, yes, there is going to be deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, and there's these liars, but as we'll get to, 
he's not saying, you know, try to keep your people from ever encountering these folks. What he's mm-hmm. saying is that, you know, devote yourself to the scriptures, right? Equip them so that they can resist them when it happens. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And 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 equip them to realize exactly what you said, that that it, it's not, you know, the 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 deceit doesn't come, you know, Hey, there's, there's a woman over there. Why don't you go have an affair? Right. That, that's because everybody would go, well, no, that, that doesn't work like that. It, the, the deceit comes through those, those little incursions all the time. And, and, you know, Satan's first name in the Bible is Lucifer, right? An angel right. of light. Light bearer. Uh, and, right. and yeah, the light bearer. Right. And, and he comes and he brings actually things that are good and, and, and they're, they're good and they're created things by God, but he wants to substitute the great stuff that God has for us with good things. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a simple, simple lie that he's been doing ever since the beginning. Now, so this next part, which I think is fascinating to me only because I, this is what I'm thinking of in my head when I say it. So I'm going to preface this by saying, you know, brother, when we have Ash Wednesday services, in our Ash Wednesday service, a lot of churches have the imposition of ashes, mine included, and we put mm-hmm. ashes on everybody's foreheads. We have ashes on our foreheads, and then we get up during the service, and we have to read the text that says, don't mope around, wash your face, anoint <laughs> yourself with oil, and you know, don't, don't let your you – know, basically, just you're not supposed to do pretty much what we all just did. So yeah. <laughs> I imagine that during Lent, our Roman Catholic friends avoid verse 3. Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. I just can't help but think of, uh, like I said, our Roman friends who their priests can't marry and they say that you can't eat meat on Fridays. Uh, they must they must sort of cringe at this verse whenever it comes around Lent time. Maybe it's not in the lectionary during that time. But, yeah, but well, that's not exactly what he's talking about. No, it's not. But but you are right. It, it is it is funny, kind of the the dichotomy that we sometimes have going on, sort of the the both and that we play with all the time, especially as Lutherans. But uh, but yeah, I mean, so this was a very, uh, uh, I don't know, very contemporary issue for them uh, in, in Ephesus, as, as far as I understand it. Uh, the 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 forbidding of marriage was, you know, this they're dealing with Gnosticism, right? This idea that that the flesh is bad and the spirit is good. And so Paul is going after this Gnostic teaching. So how do you, how do you avoid fleshly desires? Well, you don't get married and then, you know, you have nothing to do with, with your, you know, your, your sexuality. You can help contain that, uh, you know, and, and, the, and then the food thing, right? This is the don't eat, don't eat meat, don't eat any kind of thing that you've killed, you know, anything like that. And, uh, uh, you know, and they, they were saying in this way, you can be more holy and you can focus on the spirit rather than the flesh, you know, and, and all of that. Uh, and and so it's this this Gnosticism. But, you know, we, we get we get a modern day Gnosticism all mm-hmm. the time in our culture. It, it just shows up differently. Well, and it's all about these deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. Right. So the forbidding marriage, requiring abstinence from foods. This is not really about glorifying God in any way. 
So just to be clear about our Roman Catholic friends, you know, they, they right, say right. abstain from meat on Fridays, and they want to do that in such a way that glorifies God. It's not a practice that most Lutherans enjoy, uh, but, you know, we're not going to sit there and say, oh, you know, that's fair boating. What's going on here is they're saying that if you do these things or you are very ascetic, right, you go out into the desert and you live alone, mm-hmm. that you'll be closer to God, that God will give you secret wisdom. And those are the things that he's against, which is probably why also, brother, he mentioned – that uh, overseers could be married in the in chapter three in the last chapter. You know why? Why does he bring up the husband of one wife? Well, in part because there's a contingent around uh, around this area that in Ephesus that are teaching. Yeah, you know you you'll have secret knowledge if you basically deprive yourself of these good things. Right. Yeah. No. It's that it's that Gnosticism, right? And, and it's you know this this idea that there's something else out there that you can find. This is the the aesthetic who decided to to never bathe you know there's the one story the one i forget where he was in egypt or whatever that that like he had had critters falling out of his clothes because he oh, never no. bathes you know that so much and that kind of thing and there's all sorts of if you if you look those things up you can you can find those strange examples but sure uh, but just this idea that that the flesh was was evil which you know the bible is clear from from genesis to, to revelation you know that at the resurrection, it's going to be a resurrection of your spirit, yes, but of your flesh as well. It's a both and, and and both will be resurrected in the new heaven and the new earth, and and it's going to be a this amazing humanity that we were created for, and a perfecting of the the flesh and the spirit t- together in in the in the body of Christ, and it's just going to be a a beautiful thing. It's not going to be everybody flying around sitting on clouds or whatever you know the mm-hmm. the 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 current thought is right right well you know you talk about the body i in my wednesday morning bible study today i did sort of an ad hoc topic i talked about uh saint valentine or maybe the saints valentine because basically the myth of saint valentine is based on some some tales of a couple of different saints combined i'm not going to get into that but one of the things that i had said is that you can find the bones of saint valentine in Rome in Italy. You can go look at his skull and his bones. Um, You can also go find the remains of St. Valentine uh, in Glasgow, Scotland. And you can also find them in Spain. And so the point about the body is I just thought, you know, here we have this body, which is good. We want to take care of it. God will resurrect it. There's two ways we tend to treat bodies. The, the flesh, the earthly things, we tend to dispose of them as if they're nothing, treat them um, unholy ways, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, I don't know. There's all kinds of different ways that people will treat the body after death. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you take somebody like these, whoever these guys are, whether they're St. Valentine or not, and you elevate them to these like holy relics where they're going to give you things by paying homage to them. So right. what he says here is that for everything created by God is good and nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving because it's made holy by the word of God and prayer. And I just couldn't help but look at those bones and say, if these were Christian men or even St. Valentine himself, he doesn't want you looking at his his old dried up skull. He wants you looking at Jesus. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And that's and that, that's kind of the whole point of 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 preaching, at least what I would consider good preaching and and uh, all of the Christian life is that it, it draws us back to to Christ. It draws us back to to Jesus. And if you know, it, it's that you know, it's that that simple thing. If it's not the gospel, it's something else. You know, 
and and if it's not about Jesus as Lord, then you might have you might have a problem. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so well, this speaking idea of these, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, speaking speaking of silly things, this is kind of what he talks about next. Let's get some of these verses out there as we uh, approach the break. Here we go. He says in verse six, "If you put these things before the brothers." You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So, yeah, he, he says if you if you focus on, on receiving uh, with thanksgiving those things that are made holy by God, you put that before the brothers and the sisters of the congregation, that's what you're supposed to do. You're a good servant of Jesus. But he talks about faith and doctrine. Uh, we've talked about that already on this show, but you know, some people are opposed to doctrine. They say it divides rather than unites. They would rather just dispense with doctrine and unite people. Uh, what, what would you say to that? <laughs> I, I think I'd say that's a silly myth. Uh, you know, it's it, it's it's <laughs> it's one of those things where you're you you've got to stand somewhere, um, you know, and 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 if you don't stand somewhere, you're going to fall for everything. Uh, and that, you know, I mean, that's, that's right. an old, old saying it really is, but, but it's, it's true, you know, and, and so where do we stand? Well, we stand on, on Christ as Lord. Uh, and, and outside of that, you know, everything else is derived from the promise of, you know, our most basic confession of his Lordship. Uh, and, and so, you know, this being a good servant of Jesus trained in the words of faith, uh, trained in, in good doctrine. I mean, we get Paul's doctrine way more than pretty much we get anybody else. The way that he, the, the way he teaches us from, you know, starting in Romans and heading through the rest of his letters. Uh, and, and as he expounds literally on the old Testament and, and shows us how Christ has fulfilled these things, you know, grace through faith and, and all of those ideas. Uh, and, and you have to stand on that stuff. Um, and, and yes, does it divide? Yes. Does Jesus say it's going to divide? He actually says that very, very frankly, uh, right. that he will, he will be a stumbling block, uh, for folks and, and it can be unpleasant. I mean, if you've ever experienced it, it can, it can really be unpleasant. Oh yes. Unfortunately it's, and it's part of kind of the job description for a pastor, which is what he's passing along to Timothy, that when you preach the word, there will be people who disagree. And, and and elsewhere he says, really, that's, I think it's Corinthians, right? That's the point though, right? The point is right. you both can't have opposing opinions and both be right. There, there is no such thing as your truth versus the truth. And so right. when people are divided, I mean, in a way that's, I mean, not good, but that makes sense because you can't all be right. At the same time, yeah. you have to put yourself under the authority of the scriptures, which is why he says has nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. I, I, I wonder if those myths were about many of the gods and goddesses that made up the pagan structure of belief because, 
you know, the, because they're made up, much like some of this, maybe the history of, say, somebody like St. Valentine, you know, people start basing their beliefs and doctrine on these myths rather than the clear word of God. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. And, and, and it's probably it's probably partially that it's probably, again, back to that Gnosticism thing, you know, this idea that that the created stuff is all bad. Uh, you know, and it, it's just, it's, I think it's all of that probably, probably grouped together. Uh, you know, and, and as you were talking about, you know, conflict and those sorts of things, I, I think sometimes uh, we get so anti-conflict that we somehow think that, that, you know, somebody disagreeing with, with how you've talked about the Bible is actually, a, is, is a bad thing per se. And I always, I, in my Bible studies, I try to go, so, so, you know, have I said any heresy this morning? Cause I want them to talk to me, you know, and, and right. tell me what they're, what they're thinking, you know, it, it, so that we can have those conversations because, because not all conflict is bad. You know, conflict can actually, right. conflict is where you grow. Uh, and it, and, and just because it's conflict doesn't mean it has to be negative, you know? And so I, I think it's, it's a good thing to have those conversations and get those things out there. And just because you have conflict doesn't mean, doesn't mean, your church has to split or your church body has to split or anything like that. You know, conflict can actually be really constructive. Well, I always end my Bible studies with just asking, okay, are there any questions, concerns, comments, or complaints? Because the, <laughs> yeah, the idea go. here, complaints. <laughs> well, because if, if I've said something wrong or offensive or incorrect, or you just disagree with me, it's kind of like, now's the time. <laughs> now let's yeah. talk about it. Or at yeah. the very least afterwards, let's not let it stew and get upset and try to bring other people into it because, well, one, if you end up being wrong, you look kind of silly. And two, if I end up being wrong, well, you're robbing me of the ability to learn and make a correction. So Yeah, and or correct uh, or, you know, it's always my, my wife's job to correct me on the on the ride home. So <laughs> That's true. People say, why don't you record your Bible studies? And I'm like, well, because if I'm wrong, I can't go back and fix it. Uh, but right. anyway, I tell you what, we should probably take a break. We're right here at the bottom of the hour. So we're going to do that. But folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Barquette and I will continue with First Timothy 4. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. And with me today is the Reverend Timothy Barquette, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Kingman, Arizona. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's show, or comments or complaints, I suppose, don't hesitate to reach out to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also drop me a message on Facebook. I'd love to hear from you. 
Um, also, I just want to say thanks for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. You can catch us on the airwaves, on demand at KFUO, and for those who prefer to listen on the go, you can download that KFUO app we just heard in the messages, or you can subscribe to the program on your favorite podcasting platform. It just means the world to me that you're here. All right, so Pastor Barquette, well, we're getting through our text here, uh, and we were talking about... Oh, you know what? I forgot what we were talking about directly before the break. <laughs> no, <normally laughs> conflict, actually. We were talking about... Oh, it's conflict. actually... Yeah. <laughs> well, that it's a, it's a good it, it thing. It's just it's a natural thing about growth, but the conflict has to be done in such a way that's love. It's 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 done in such a way where you want the other to grow. You're not trying to get over on them or win. It's about you know mutual growth. And and I'm sure that young Timothy is facing not only the conflict that naturally comes with being a pastor in a world that's resistant to God's word. But he's also kind of a young guy, you know, these these old fellows yeah. who come over from being pagans, you know, they they can't be much different than some of the old folks we got to deal with today. Of course, we're quickly becoming those old folks. But, you know, people who <laughs> said, you know, well, I grew up a Lutheran my whole life and, you know, you're not even a Lutheran your whole life. I, I've heard it all where you where you have to proclaim the good doctrine, follow it um, that you've been trained in, been formed in um, while at the same time. As we'll learn in just a few minutes, you have to do this with with some authority, but also in love and faith. But uh, anything else about this section? Well, you know what? No, take that back. I'm just going to read the rest of the chapter, and then we'll just talk about all of it. Okay. So here are verses 11 through 16. So he says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but the set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love and faith in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you'll save both your hearers and yourself. So Paul thinks doctrine's pretty important and tells him to devote yeah. himself to the source of that doctrine scripture to exhortation which is to calling people to live a, a, a god-pleasing life and to teaching them how to do it and he points to this council of elders which we know isn't elders in the lcms sense but rather as other pastors who've given you know their uh, i guess i guess it's a way of, of of laying on their commendation to you as you go forth and so let's, let's, let's dig in this and see what it meant back then and how it applies today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, going back just a little bit to, to like verse 8, he's talking about, you know, the Please. bodily training of some value, godliness of value everywhere. You know, it's this, it's this talk of balance in all things, right? Um, it's, it's, you know, because you, you can, you don't have to look very far to find people that are, that are unbalanced in something, right? Take bodily training. I mean, you know, I've been doing athletic stuff my whole life and, you know, you can really get wrapped up in, you know, the, the, the physical stuff and, and going to the gym and not that there's anything wrong with going to the gym. It's good for you. You need to do it. But again, it's, it's a balance issue. Uh, and he wants you to have balance also in your spiritual life, the spiritual life that is, is oftentimes ignored. I see it. I see it a lot in in my own community here. You know, you, you, and, and this is a, a this is probably everywhere in America, but Southern California, Northwestern Arizona, 
you know, you, you get the, the kids that are involved in a hundred different sports and everything else, uh, parents that are involved in all sorts of, all sorts of stuff. And they ignore the spiritual side of their children that, that, that exists, right? They don't ignore their own spiritual side too. And it, it exists and it's, and it's screaming, right? It's screaming for, for God. It's screaming for, for that, that worship. And, and it's the old, you know, you're going to worship something, uh, and better to, better to, to focus on, on the right something than, than the wrong something. I like that you bring up balance, though, because it's so important. Uh, I remember when you and I were in seminary together, um, you know, I was carrying some weight with me. I found it since then, but I lost it for a while. Uh, <laughs> I think it was because uh, you had guided me to require abstinence from foods that God created to be holy, which would be carbs. <laughs> uh, but I, 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 of course, have grown since then and now have found all the carbs and I received them with lots of thanksgiving. Uh, but no, as someone who's a little on the opposite end of the spectrum from you, you know, I, I haven't been athletic my whole life and that and that stuff. So I actually also recognize from sort of the other end of the spectrum, there are plenty of people who say, well, I, I you know, it's just important that I um, am smart and I believe and, you know, the body is just something that will be cast off uh, at the end. But but no, we, we you know, there is that balance. So when he says bodily training is of some value. I suppose when I read it, I kind of read it with, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. I think that's a little dishonest. I should have said uh, bodily training is of some value, <laughs> but then godly value, yeah. godliness is also value. So, you know, there is that balance. And if we're not healthy physically, then obviously we're not going to be healthy mentally. And, and that mental health is also important. Just read the recent Lutheran Witness. But it's also important for us, you know, to understand and receive God's word. So, I, I, yeah, I think that balance is really important. But as you said, though, you know, don't don't go fall off the horse, as uh, uh, one of my guests would say, unto the ditch on either side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you have to really focus. You don't want to be slothenly while reading the Bible every day. Um, so there's there is that balance, and and I think that the bodily training example would have been a pretty good one for people who would have thought about um, asceticism, right? Going out, being severe to their body. You know, these aren't, we don't, we think of Americans packing on the pounds of which I am one. But back then in this context, these would be people who would be starving themselves out in the wilderness to try to, to find religion or find wisdom. In fact, in Colossians chapter two, verse 23, he says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So even Luther ran into this, right, where he's, beat, he's trying to beat himself to <laughs> cause himself mm -hmm. to be holy, and he realizes eventually, no, he needs to take care of his body, and, uh, but also, of course, turn to the forgiveness in Christ, the true word. Right. Yeah, no, I, that's exactly right. And, and it's just this idea that, that, you know, you, you, you've got to find the middle ground in it because, you know, your, your frequent guest is, is right. You can fall off the horse, either direction, either, either too much training and you get to the point, well, if you don't, you know, if you don't hit the gym every day and, and train your body, then you're, you know, you're, you're abusing God's gift and, and, you know, and you're, you're a sinner for not taking care of your body, or you can fall off the other way and go, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to spend all my time, you know, 
in, in the scriptures and, and, and prayer and which is also good stuff. All of it is good stuff. Right. But it, it's, it's taking the, taking the balance out. He says, command and teach these things. And he must've thought instantly after uh, having those words written that he's like, Oh, wait a minute. This is a young guy. He's going to have trouble with that. So then he says, let no one despise you for your youth. But then set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So sandwiched in between here is this idea that even though you're a young pastor, you have the authority of the Word of God to command and teach these things. But then it, of course, is balanced and modified by the reality that you're also you know, showing them what it looks like. You're, living, you're walking the walk uh, to borrow kind of a— a tired phrase, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And and that, that's what I kind of see in this text. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think you're right. It, you know, this is such a dense stuff right here. You know, there's so much to it, but you know, he, and you know, we look at it and go youth. Well, what, what was he 18? I don't know. Youth could be anybody yeah. shoot under 40, quite frankly, in, in that, in that context. Um, sure. So, but he's probably like you've been talking about younger than, than a lot of his, his, uh, his people that he's working with. And, you know, it, this is, a, it's a great warning for, for, well, any pastor, but especially younger pastors, you know, just cause you go through your, your ordination service, uh, doesn't necessarily mean, especially in our, our current culture, doesn't necessarily mean that you have authority. Uh, you, right. you've got to, and, and look what he does, you know, you have to set an example, uh, in how you talk, how you conduct your life, how you love others, how you're, you're faithful in the things that you've been given, right. An, an integrity, uh, issue going on and, and in, in purity. Right. And, and so it's, it's, how do you, how do you want them to listen to you? How are you going to get the authority to command to teach these things? Well, yeah, you've, you've had the laying on of hands and he talks that in 14, but you also have to conduct your life in a way that, that deserves uh, that, that authority. Which certainly harkens back to the previous chapter when he says an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, right. respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, not quarrelsome, et cetera, et cetera. And those things are those things are hard for anybody. I certainly fail in those things. You know, sure. I you know I had a situation just happen to me recently where you know I I scheduled something and didn't didn't look at the calendar, and so now I got two things conflicting, and it's you know it's my fault and. They come to me and they're like, hey, you know, you, you, we just feel like you're not paying attention enough to the calendar. And, I, you know, I get defensive, right? You're like, well, wait, what do you mean? You know, I, this is this is a funeral. It's the most important. And, you know, once given a second, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I guess I'm wrong. That's true. <laughs> so, you know, you have to reach out and say, okay, you know what? You got me. You got me. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that's yeah. what's going on here. But then there are also times when he's going to have to lean on the other side, the command and teach these things, to let no one despise you for your youth. You know, because even though he fail in one, and, and hopefully the parishioners and people he serves will forgive him in those failures, on the other hand, you know, they, they don't have carte blanche to just disregard what he says. You know, and Paul knows something about this, right? People look at Paul and say, well, you're not a true apostle. You know, we're the super apostles. You're, you're just some Johnny-come-lately. And he's always defending himself, Paul, called by God, not by man, you know. But at the same time, he also knows that he has a command of Christ, and so he's not afraid to stand on that. It's a balance. 
Yeah, no, that's, I think you're, I think you're right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's funny because you talk about the calendar and stuff, you know, it's so easy to get distracted by all the other stuff, pastor or otherwise, you know what I mean? It, it's so easy. Right. To, uh, and, and it's all good stuff, right? The, the calendar and, and the next, you know, chili bake off or, you know, whatever it is, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and well, I mean, that's why verse 13 is kind of so important, right? Uh, devote yourself to, to what? The public reading of scripture to exhortation and, and to preaching or teaching and preaching, right? That's the way we would, we would read that. And, uh, you know, this, this idea that these things are the most important, everything else is, is peripheral and not that they're not important, but they, they pale in comparison to, to those things. Right. The space exists because it is the place where you encounter God through the word and sacrament, I guess would be the language we would use today. And, yeah. but I, I, I want to, I don't want to derail the conversation, but I think it's important. You know, as well as I do that verse 13 is also used and is interpreted differently within even our own blessed synod that uh, whether or not the public reading of Scripture should be given only to pastors. So we have this idea that, um, well, Timothy is a pastor. It's a pastoral epistle. He says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. And the way this gets, I, I shouldn't say interpreted, but the way it gets applied in practice uh, sometimes is uneven across um, our churches. You know, some people will say, well, this forbids any lay person from, say, reading the lectionary. And on the other hand, people say, oh, you know, even lay people can preach as long as the pastor gives their okay, his okay to it. Um, so there's this diversity of, of, of I guess, practice. Um, I don't know. I'll put you on the spot. Where do you fall on this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I can let lay people read and because I've, I've been doing it my entire career. Uh, so uh, I just, yeah, it, it's, it's one of those topics that, you know, I, I, I wonder, I wonder if it's not more, there, there's no, there's no scriptural mandate. I mean, you can read this e either direction, depending on how you, how you push it. Right. Uh, I, I know that the the guys who who really get into this, they'll, they'll you know they lean on the confessions, and the confessions talk about you know the the pastoral office and and, and all of that. And then the same guys that go the other direction lean on the confessions, and they go, yeah, mm -hmm. but it's it's already under the the authority of the pastoral office. I'm sitting right there while they're reading, you know. So it, it can go either way. I've always fallen on the side of, hey, you know, I'm I'm right there. It falls under good order. Uh, to have somebody else, you know, read those texts. I thank God for them because it gives my voice a second to rest, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> and maybe it's selfish, but, you know, it gives me a second to to listen myself and, and to prep. And especially, uh, you know, normally I'm preaching out of one of those texts that they're reading from. It gives me an extra minute to reflect on it before, you know, before we get to the preaching task. And, and uh, it's, it's a, a blessing all the way around. Well, I'm sure the listeners at home are wanting me to come down on the topic so they can know where I stand. So I'll just tell you, folks at home, I agree with you. So on verse 14, <laughs> it says, do not neglect whatever your opinion is. I agree with that. Do not neglect the gift that you Oh, you're have, a coward. Great. Which was, <laughs> which was uh, so here's my practice. I'll say that. This is my practice. My practice is because I don't think it is crystal clear. 
um, my practice is that I'm already up there. I might as well do it. Yeah. And that's just how I've kind of always done it. But there are certainly situations where, um, say, like a, a, a Easter vigil or something like that, where there are a million texts. Um, I think the authority comes from the word, not the person who's you know reading it out loud. Thank goodness. Um, but in verse four, right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but in verse 14, he says, Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. I mentioned this briefly. We always get hung up. We talked about this yesterday about the terms, you know, presbyter and um, a, a diakonos and, and bishop and deacon and overseer and la, la, la. So what we concluded yesterday, if you didn't get a chance to listen, Pastor Barquette, is that you know, what we have today isn't exactly what was in the scriptures. I mean, the, the offices have evolved over time in good ways, uh, but even since something like this, in this time, the Council of Elders isn't what we would think of it. It's not as though the men who get voted in by the congregation to, you know, just help the pastor out whenever there are things that aren't relegated to the pastor need to be done, um, but rather these would have been fellow fellow pastors. Uh, but yeah, no, what agreed. is the context here when he says the prophecy? And I don't know, it's just it's sort of a confusing sentence. Help us understand. Yeah, yeah well, good luck with that, right? This is one of those really confusing <laughs> spots. I mean, I think you're, I think you're, uh, there's plenty of good evidence that, that when this text says the Council of Elders, he's, he's talking about it. It's another group of, of men who are called to, to lead their churches, right? Uh, it's, it's pastors. Uh, as far as the 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 prophecy, that I mean, shoot, this is if I'm if I remember from reading this, you know that this is the only place it talks about Timothy's you know gift by prophecy and what the gift was. I'm not exactly sure. There's a lot of speculation on it. What what he received, uh, it it you know some of the speculation is it's one of those one of those uh, things from verse 13, right? The the, the reading of scripture, exhortation and teaching, the gift of, of teaching and, and, you know, treading out, out the, the grain as it were. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it would make sense that in verse 14, it says, and don't neglect that gift that you've been given to, you know, to tread it out, to teach uh, the scriptures. Um, and so, I mean, it, it would make some sense, but what exactly it was, you know, we, we, we don't know for sure, but it was, it was definitely a gift uh, given to Timothy that was to edify the church. Uh, and so, yeah, we just don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Now, it is mentioned one other place, or at least we might think it is, because it says in 1 Timothy, uh, the very first chapter, verse 18, he says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, et cetera, et cetera. Um, is that the same thing? I, again, it's not super clear. And I think this brings right. up a good point. You know, we have been separated by time and space to when these things were written. And so even when we don't fully understand some of the, uh, let's say, historical backgrounds to the scriptures, I just don't want people at home to start thinking, well, gosh, if you don't even know what that is, then how can we trust you know, the interpretation of the scriptures? Well, again, you know, the, 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 the scriptures are there not to satisfy our every curiosity, but to point forward to Christ. And so while it'd be fascinating to know exactly what he's talking about, it's really sufficient that Timothy knew what he was talking about. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you can point it back to people too, you know, say, Timothy, don't neglect the gift you have. Oh, and, and by the way, if I'm preaching this, don't neglect the gifts that you've been given, you know, and, and I would say that any gifts that you have spiritual or, or otherwise are first given to you by God for the use in, in the church. And then that use kind of bleeds out into everything else. So if you have whatever the gift of administration, you know, that, that gift was given you. Not everybody has it. You can look at a, at a thing and, and all of a sudden somebody has a problem and you can lay out, well, here's how we get from, from A to A to Z to deal with this problem. And not everybody can do that really well. And, and that's designed first to edify the church. And then, yeah, well, people, they'll find themselves using it in all sorts of other things in, in their job or their workplace or whatever it is. Uh, but it's, you know, this exhortation to don't neglect the gifts you've been given. If you have the gift of, of hospitality, it, I would argue that it's primarily for the church so that you can be hospitable to those in the church. If you have the gift of, mm -hmm. of comfort and counsel and, and, you know, you're, you're one of those people that can sit there and listen to folks really well and not get distracted. Don't neglect that gift, uh, because it's, it's built to edify the church. Well, there's one word, and we're coming to the end of the program, but there's one word in the next verse that brings me quite a bit of comfort. In verse 15, it says again, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. That word progress, I have highlighted because this <laughs> is suggesting to us that, you know, or not suggesting, really saying that none of us are perfect, right? Timothy didn't get installed because he's this perfect pastoral specimen but rather he gets installed by God. He's, um, uh, you know, Paul is tutoring him, and Paul is telling him to grow in his abilities by, well, immersing himself in the public reading of Scripture, exhortation, and teaching, and that everybody's going to see that he's going to get better at it. So that progress at least brings me comfort. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think it's, 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 it's comforting, but it's also, uh, you know, like like most of the scriptures, it works both ways. It's also a, a you know take heed, right? That we need to keep sure. progressing. Um, I think you know wh whether we're pastors or otherwise, we really need to, in some way, shape, or form, be lifelong learners. Um, I, I see too many guys that, and, and I mean that for our, our you know our own peer group at this point, pastors right. that you know they get ordained and they they kind of stop going to school as it were in some shape or form they stop learning they say they kind of yeah i know how to preach now and so they just kind of do it rather than continuing to learn about that craft you know they they they, they stop studying you know other other topics other things that could lead them you know into into better preaching and into better teaching into better uh leadership you know anything just keep learning uh, and it's an encouragement for for whether you're in the pew or or behind the pulpit, uh, you know, keep keep learning, keep growing, uh, because there's always something more that you can progress in. You can always be be better at something per se, and and it it just it reflects, you know, God's God's call on our life to to continue moving forward. Well, I think that's a good point to end on this morning. So I'd like to thank my guest, the Reverend Timothy Barquette, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Kingman, Arizona. Pastor, thanks for being on the show. Hey, it's been a great privilege. Good to, good spending some time with you, Phil. Yeah, you too. I can't wait to talk to you again. And tomorrow, folks, uh, don't go anywhere. Come back, right? Because we're going to be talking about instructions for the church. You know, how is he going to exercise this authority? 
Well, not by rebuking older men, but encouraging them. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, treating people according to their station and, and, their, uh, and, and what they need. So we'll see that, and we'll hear about all of those instructions tomorrow. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all. As we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong hand.